Acts chapter 6. As I sort of prepared, you know, you kind of, you know, having taught so many messages over the years, I thought, well, what do you do for your last message or your or last message for a while? We'll just keep saying it that way. What do you do? And uh, I actually wasn't going to teach again. Uh, Luke asked me to teach and I said, no, I really don't have a message from the Lord. So I don't really think I'm going to share. And then he asked me last week, he said, are you going to share? And I, coming to church last week, I still wasn't planning on sharing. Uh, and my, my thought process was if the Lord gives me a message, then I'll share. Well, worshiping last week with you guys, the Lord kind of put it on my heart that I want you to teach, but he didn't tell me really what to teach on. So I told Luke I would teach and he said, what are you going to teach? I said, I don't know yet, but I'll figure it out between Sunday to Sunday. The Lord will be faithful and give me something if he's calling me to teach. And as I contemplated over the past week, or really it's been kind of over the past summer, it's been, what I'm going to share this morning is very personal. It kind of, you're going to see a lot of my life wrapped up into the message that I'm going to share. Um, And then I think it all comes down to this. If I, if I can exhort you guys with one final message, it's going to be follow the Lord, follow him, follow him in all that you do, follow him in your career, follow him with your family, follow the Lord in your ministry, whether it's public or whether it's private, follow the Lord in all areas of your life. You can't go wrong doing that. It doesn't mean it'll be easy. It doesn't mean that there won't be difficulty, conflict, hardship along the way. But keep your focus on following him. Isn't it fun to watch someone else follow him? It's fun to watch someone else take a step of faith and see what the Lord does next. But can I encourage you to let the Lord lead you in the steps of faith in your life? Not everybody following the Lord is going to be some big step of faith. He may not call you to ever move from the city of Cumberland. He might call you to move away, but are you willing to follow? And have you set parameters or have you put up fences that says, no, I'll only go this far. I won't leave my family. What if the Lord wants you to leave your family and go somewhere to serve him? Would you be willing? And as I thought about this, as I kind of thought about my own life, honestly, I asked the question, why? Why, God? Why are you calling our family from Calvary Chapel, Cumberland? Why are you taking us away from the church that you used us to plant? And I know you want to know the answer to the question. So do I. The truth is, I still don't know why. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know why he's calling. But I do know that I have to be obedient. As I contemplated that question, Lord, why? My mind was drawn to Philip. Philip in the Bible. Not Philip the Apostle, not the one who's associated with Peter and Andrew in the city of Bethsaida, not that Philip. There's a different Philip that's mentioned in the Bible. And this morning, I thought we'd do more of a character study. It will be verse by verse, but it's going to be a character study on the life of Philip. And over the years, people have said, hey, who do you see yourself as in the Bible? Well, right now, I see myself as Philip. So I hope you can follow along. I hope you enjoy. I hope you see what the Lord's doing in my life through this. But ultimately, I want to see the Lord touch your life through this study in the life of Philip. Before I introduce you to Philip the evangelist, I want to set the stage for you. After Jesus was crucified, after he rose from the dead, but before he ascended to the Father, he told his disciples in Acts chapter 1 verse 5, he said, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, which is where they were at the time, in Judea and on Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
So immediately after Christ ascended, it all began to happen. Ministry was breaking out. The, minutes, the good news of the gospel was going forth. People were getting saved. There was a lot of success. The people were following the Lord Jesus Christ. Many people, including what we'll read this morning, is the priests. Were, many priests were turning to Christ. So we would have a successful ministry happening in Jerusalem. And it's not likely that they forgot that he said you have to go to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. It's just they probably weren't in a rush to get there because things were going so well as they were in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 6, we read about the apostles' responsibility increasing. As the church grows, there's a little bit of a problem. The ministry's growing. All of a sudden, the, the apostles find themselves being pulled away from the teaching of the word. They're being pulled away from prayer. And they're forced to handle these disputes among the people, among the ministries within the church that are being birthed. We see that happening there. And this is the first place that we meet Philip the evangelist. So if you'll follow along as I read in Acts chapter 6, verses one through seven. Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. The Hellenists were the non-Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. That's in giving of food. Then the 12 summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. And there he is, Philip. Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And I like this part. And a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. The church, this brand new movement happening under Jesus Christ, this brand new thing happening in, in Jerusalem is growing. It has explosive growth, if you will. All of a sudden, they have the need for organization. The apostles are being tasked with this. They say, we've got to find some other people to do this. So along with this organization, because they're organizing, there comes a biblical requirement, a prerequisite, if you will, for serving in the church. Now, this is important. Because sometimes people think, well, anybody can serve in the church. All you do is be willing to volunteer. No, no, there's a prerequisite. There's a requirement, I think, that's laid out for us in the scripture. Not anybody can just volunteer and serve. It seems to me that Luke, the author here, is setting out the requirement to serve. He says, find, number one, some men among you. The idea is that this person that's serving, these people they're going to appoint, they're among us. They're part of us. We know them. We, we, know their, we, we know who they are. We know their family. We know where they've come from. We know their story. We've watched them grow up, perhaps. We've been, we, we're close to them. There's a, there's a certain knowledge about them. We know that they're believers. We know they're known by the people around us. Oftentimes, people in our day will bounce from church to church to church, and they want to get involved as soon as they get there. It's always been kind of my rule. No, sit still for six months. Just sit down, relax, enjoy the fellowship. Let us get to know you. Let you get to know us, because the last thing I want you to do is get involved and then leave. They had to be men among us. They also said there's something interesting in verse 3. You have to have a good reputation. 
Wait, I thought anybody could serve in the church. No, not here. No, we're going to find men of good reputation. They're among us, so we know their reputation. We know who they are. They have to have a good reputation. And by the way, in case you're not sure, your reputation is what other people think of you. It's how other people see you. You know, because sometimes you can think you have one reputation, but that's not the reality of what other people see you. I like the fact that D.L. Moody once said, if I take care of my character, my reputation will take care of itself. You see, you don't have to work on your reputation. It's just a natural production of what's already inside of you. What's inside of you just comes out in your reputation. Your character is who you really are. Your reputation is what people think you are. And think of it this way. Your character is what's inside. Your reputation is the symptoms of what's inside of you. So think about it. Someone's reputation. Some good, some bad, some neither, neither good or bad. They're just kind of neutral. But I like the fact that they didn't say you have to have a perfect reputation. So you have to have a good reputation. People have to know you. You have to have a good reputation. What are some things that affect our reputations? How we deal with people, right? Our interactions with others, the way we deal with people. What about your work ethic? Does your work ethic affect your reputation? You bet. You know anybody with a lazy reputation? Sure you do. You know anybody with a hardworking reputation? Absolutely you do. What about your speech? The way you talk about yourself? Does that affect your reputation? Yeah. What about the way you speak about other people? Does that affect your reputation? Yeah. But there's something else that affects your reputation that I think is kind of unique to our culture. Social media. Does social media affect your reputation? You better believe it does. Whether it's good or bad. Some people only want to put the good things on social media so they'll think better. People will think better of them. Other people put the bad things. So it's just, either way, it's affecting you somehow, whether it's good or bad. And there he also said another characteristic to serve in the church. He said, filled with the Holy Spirit. I like this. Someone who is filled with the Holy Spirit. How, how do we test that one, Rob? How do we know if someone's filled with the Holy Spirit? Oh, it's easy. Paul, in the book of Galatians, in a letter to the Galatians, he told us what to look for. He told us what the fruit of the Spirit is. Do you remember what it is? Galatians 5.22, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You see, someone filled with the Holy Spirit is going to have these characteristics in their life. Well, if that's not clear, you say, Rob, that's kind of hard for me. To, it's kind of hard for me to define or, or, or measure those in someone else's life. Well, the good thing is right before that in Galatians in chapter, I mean, in verse 19, Paul told us what it looks like to be walking according to the flesh. He told us what the works of the flesh look like. And it's contrary. Look what he says. Oh, you don't, you're not, don't turn there. Just listen. Now he says, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are, here we go, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murderers, drunkenness, revelries, and the last one I like the most, and of the like, or anything else like that stuff. He kind of encompasses it there. So when you're looking at someone's life going, are you filled with the Spirit? It's easy. Do you have the fruit of the Spirit? If you don't have the fruit of the Spirit, you're probably going to look like some of these other things. And you might get through this list and go, well, I'm not an adulterer. Remember what Jesus said, if you thought about it, you've done it. Maybe, I, well, I'm, I'm not, I've, I haven't killed anybody. Well, maybe selfish ambition. And you can start to look through here. And again, it's not perfection. It's where is the majority of your life spent? Are you walking in the Spirit? Or when I read this list of, of the works of the flesh, is, that's me. 
That's me. That, that's the beautiful thing about Jesus Christ. You can be reborn. You can be renewed. And you can have the fruit of the Spirit outpouring in your life. He does it naturally. It just happens. When you start to follow Christ, the fruit of the Spirit is going to begin to grow. You don't have to make it happen. You don't have to pretend. An apple tree bears apples because it's an apple tree. A Christian bears the fruit of the Spirit because they're a Christian. It's natural. You don't see an apple tree. You don't hear them out there at night groaning trying to pop out an apple. It just, they just have apples. Pear trees bear pears. Whatever the tree, it just happens naturally. But if it's fertilized and well fed, what happens? The, it could be a bumper crop. So it's, I like it's, it's interesting. Filled with the Holy Spirit, of good reputation. And lastly, he says, full of wisdom. Full of wisdom. Now, I could spend a lot of time here, but I'm not going to because Luke on Thursday nights has been talking about wisdom for the last several weeks in the first seven chapters of Proverbs. Just consider it this. Wisdom is taking the knowledge, having the knowledge, but then also using the knowledge to do the right thing. It's not just having the information. There's a lot of people that are full of wisdom, but they still do the wrong thing. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about having the knowledge of what's right and living it out. And one of the men who met these requirements is Philip. Just an ordinary follower of Jesus Christ. Not an apostle, nobody special, not mentioned before this. But we know that he has a good reputation. We know that he was among the brethren. We know that he was full of wisdom. And we know that he was full of the Holy Spirit. And he was chosen as one of the seven to simply serve tables. And you would think, Rob, a guy like that, he should be on top. He should be out publicly declared. No, he's just serving behind the scenes. He's just a guy that says, I'll do it. Whatever you need me to do, Lord, I'll serve tables. So as the ministry there is growing in Jerusalem, it's not long, as many of you know, before opposition to Christianity comes to light. Persecution starts to happen. Christians are being imprisoned and even martyred for their, for their faith. In response to the apostles, they stay in Jerusalem. But many of the other followers of Jesus Christ, what happens to them? They flee. They scatter. They run away for their, they, they, in fear for their life. They run away. But what did they take with them? They took the gospel with them. They took the gospel message with them. It's interesting to me how God can and will use difficulty in someone's life, but yet still accomplish his will. You see, they were probably thinking, and maybe this is just the way that I think, God, everything's going so good. Why would we have to leave Jerusalem? Why don't you strike down our enemies? Why don't you just kill the apostle Paul because we're tired of him putting us in prison? Well, we know why, because he's going to go on to write half the New Testament because God wasn't done working in Paul's life. But God, why don't you just stop all this nonsense and let it life go smoothly? And the Lord says, no. No, I'm going to use this chaos to direct you where I need you to be. You ever felt that way in life? You ever felt like your life is a little bit chaotic? Maybe you're being pushed in a direction that you weren't planning on going in. Can you trust that the Lord's sovereignty is at work if your heart is to follow him? And he's doing something there? That's what's happening. So we're first introduced to Philip as he serves in a rather private ministry. It's kind of behind the scenes, if you will. The next time we see Philip in the book of Acts is Acts chapter 8. Turn there with me. He's going to be serving the Lord publicly. And follow along as once you get there as I begin in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Now, Saul was consenting to his death. That's who would become Paul. He's referring to Stephen here. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. We talked about that. And they were scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. This is that they took the gospel with them. 
Verse 2, and devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. So Stephen is martyred. Paul is arresting people. It's a very chaotic scene happening here. Believers are fleeing. They're taking the gospel with them. They're, they're being scattered, but they're, don't, don't, don't mistake the chaos for the organization the Lord has in hand. What looks like chaos to us, what looks, we, we would look at that and go, oh, the persecuted church, we need to pray for them. We need to pray for those believers. They're, they're being forced out of their homes. But the Lord says, no, no, I'm doing something marvelous here. I'm going to have these guys that are being forced, they're going to take this gospel into the other parts of the earth, which is what he told them to start with. Judea, they're going to start in Jerusalem, go to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Look at verse 4 with me. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Too often in our life, when we're being scattered, we're being pushed out, we have the wrong attitude. Their attitude where they were going was still to preach the gospel. I'm still going to share that. Yeah, life is tough. We're being pushed out of our home. But I'm still going to share the gospel with you. Verse 5, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and he preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed. And many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. After being scattered, after Philip literally runs for his life, he finds himself down in the area of Samaria where he began to preach Christ. Philip has gone from a servant, a waiter of tables, if you will, to a preacher. How did that happen, Philip? How did, where did, when did you get promoted? He would tell you, I didn't. I just did what I always do. I was sharing Christ whether I was waiting on tables. Now I'm finding myself in the Samaria. I've got a message. I'm just going to teach it. I didn't need to get promoted. He simply took the message of Christ to the people of Samaria. Now there's something you need to know here. The Jewish people and the Samaritans, they didn't like each other. They, they weren't really friends. Although the Samaritans were technically part Jewish, the Jewish people didn't recognize them. They, they were sort of half-breeds, if you will. So there wasn't a friendship there. After the Assyrian captivity happened, the Assyrians brought in... Uh, sorry, just popped up for me. <laughs> After the Assyrian captivity happened, the Assyrians brought in people who weren't Jewish, and they, they intermarried, and they began to populate with, a, with what they would call a mixed breed. So the Jewish people in Jerusalem did not like them. But here's Philip preaching the gospel to the people. That just happens to be where he's at. And they're listening intently. They were eager to hear. People were getting saved. Miracles were happening. Verse 7 told us that he healed the lame and the sick. He cast out demons. As a result, the city of Samaria had great joy. Wouldn't you say at this point, Philip has a successful ministry? Philip has a very successful ministry. He's got it going on. If he's a church, it's packed. Every service, people are getting healed. Demons are being cast out. Things are happening in the name of the Lord mightily. Remember, he was just an ordinary guy. He was just a guy who, who was a simple servant with a good reputation, filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Just a guy who was scattered because of persecution, took the gospel with him, and now he's being used by God mightily in a public ministry. Overnight, it seems, his ministry shifted from private oversight to public preaching. How did it happen? He's just following God. Lord, if you lead me out of Jerusalem, I'll just take the message you've given me and I'll take it to the next town and I'll take it to the next place and I'll take it to the next thing. With the revival happening in Samaria, 
pretty soon, and I'm going to summarize the next chapter for you. Pretty soon word would get back to Peter and John in Jerusalem. Hey, do you guys hear what's going on in Samaria? No, what's going on? Remember that guy, Philip, that was like taking care of the widows? Well, he's, he's preaching the gospel down there. Really? What's going on? People are getting saved like crazy. The church is booming down there. You got to go check this out. So Peter and John, they go. They leave Jerusalem. They go down to Samaria. They get out there. Whoa, this is incredible. They pray for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit falls on the people of Samaria. And then Peter and John, as they're heading back to Jerusalem, they're stopping in every village along the way, sharing the gospel. So there's revival breaking out in Samaria. People are getting saved. Philip's ministry is booming. People are getting healed. Demons are being cast out. Peter and John are impressed. They can't believe it. God is being glorified in a mighty way. You would look and go, wow, what a ministry. That Philip, he sure is anointed, isn't he? I want you to look down verse 26 with me. Same chapter, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. Wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on a sec. Are you serious? The Lord's telling Philip to leave what's happening in Samaria right in the middle of the revival. And where did he tell him to go? To the desert. You know what's in the desert? Nothing. Sand. There's nothing there. There's nothing happening. Philip, I want you to go down to the desert. Now, those of you that know me can know that I can project myself into this story. Because it's kind of my story at this moment in our lives. Only I'm not going to, I guess you could say Florida's a desert, but not really. It's more of a tropical place. It's a place that Philip didn't intend to go, and it's a place that I never intended to return to. But as I I project myself into the story, I can imagine Philip saying things like, Lord, you need me there. No, no, those people need me, Lord. They're they're responding to what you're doing there. You you, you can't move me yet, Lord. It's not time yet, Lord. No, no, I I can't go. You you really, God, would you really call a man away from a successful ministry? Maybe even Philip, maybe he thought, maybe this is Satan's plan. Maybe I'm not hearing from God at all because God would never do something like that. Oh, how thankful I am for Philip's story. Maybe this story sounds a little familiar because it's my life. I feel like I'm living this out at this very moment. As the Lord calls our family away from the ministry here in Cumberland, he's used us to build. We don't know what's coming next. And it doesn't seem to make sense in my mind. I don't understand it. We're not even sure why we're leaving. I can relate to Philip. I wish I knew what came next. I wish I could say, well, this is happening. But I really don't because I know if the Lord wanted me to know, he would have told me. Instead, I know that I just have to walk faithful. But I want you to use, or I want you to notice the method the Lord used to call Philip. Because this is important here. In leading Philip away from Samaria, the first thing we see the Lord do is he gives him a command. God said to Philip, go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Samaria is north of Jerusalem. Philip had to walk back up to Jerusalem, say hi to everybody, and then head back out into the desert. Can you imagine what his friend said? Where are you going, Philip? What are you going to the desert for? You were doing so good. Why are you leaving there? What doesn't make sense? The command was simply go. Go. I want you to go, Philip. He told him where to go. He made it clear where to go, but he didn't tell Philip why he was going. 
or what he would do when he got there. Sometimes in life, as you follow the Lord, the Lord will command you to go, to do something for him. Oh, it might not be as big as a move across the United States. It might just be something that he wants you to go do to put you in a position to be ready to serve him. We're going to see that Philip is told to go. He doesn't know why. But those of us that know the story know that God knows why. There's a perfect plan unfolding, but the command is to go. Sometimes God won't tell you why until you get there. That's why it's called walking by faith. You see, if you have to have all the details before you go, you're not really, you're kind of playing God, aren't you? I learned this as I, as, I, as I grappled with this in my own life. I said, Lord, why do you want me to go? What am I going to do? Tell me these things and then I'll go. And then I realized, you know what? Does it matter why he wants me to go? You know why I wanted to know? So I could compare it to what was happening here. Is it better? If it's better, I'll go. Or if it's better, I don't think that's for me. You see, I realized in my own personal life, I wanted to compare. Tell me what's coming and I'll make a decision. No, the decision comes when the Lord says, go. The Lord says, I want you to, will you do it? I want you to teach the Bible today. I want you to share with your friends. I want you to, you know, change a job. I want you to move cities. I want you to, whatever he tells you as you follow him, will you be willing to go or do you have to have all the information? There have been a few well-meaning people who have approached me and said things like, the Lord wouldn't call you to Florida without telling you why. No, no, the Lord wouldn't do that. He doesn't work that way. And I've had to politely disagree and remain faithful to what the Lord said. You see, sometimes you'll even get counsel that says, no, that's not the Lord. And it becomes my obligation, it becomes your obligation to make sure that we're following the Lord. Well, how do I know if I'm following the Lord, Rob? I'm thankful that after the Lord gives us a command, he'll give you confirmation. He does for Philip. Now, Philip's confirmation came in the form of an angel of the Lord. I like that kind of confirmation. I wish I could have that kind of confirmation. I would love it if an angel would show up on scene as I'm praying one day, Lord, am I supposed to go to Florida? I would love it if he'd show up, whip out his compass, point his wing to the south and tell me, go. I mean, that would be really cool. But I've never seen an angel before. And I'm willing to bet that most of you have never seen an angel either. So how does the Lord confirm to us what he wants us to do? He uses the word. He uses the word. He uses messages just like this. Just like the life of Philip. As people would say to me, God wouldn't do that. Well, what about Abraham? What about Philip? There's plenty of occasions in the Bible where God has led someone without giving them all the details before they have it. This very story of Philip leaving a successful ministry in Samaria is just one of the many confirmations the Lord has used in my life to confirm that he's moving us. So... Our friend Philip has a command from God, go to the desert road. He has confirmation as an angel stood before him and said, that way, get going. Do you know what comes next? It's the hardest part. He has to make a decision. He has to decide, am I going to go or not? Will he leave the successful work in Samaria and go to the desert where it's desolate, where he doesn't know what awaits him? Remember, he doesn't know why. God hasn't told him what to expect when he gets there. He didn't tell him where he would work or make money. He didn't tell him where he would live. He didn't provide any details. Only go. Philip, I want you to leave where you're at and go. What would you do? Would you do it? Would you go? Or would you need a little more information? Look at verse 27. Love this. So he arose and went. He didn't ask why. He didn't demand to know where. 
He didn't say, where am I going to live? Where will I work? What are we going to eat? What's the benefits of the job? It says he arose and went. God says, go. God confirms his word or his direction. And then comes the decision part. That's the grappling part. Do I want to go? That's the comparison part. Far too many Christians never see the Lord work mightily in their life because they won't arise and go. It's simple. They won't do it. Oh, they know the command. Maybe they even get the confirmation. But they never arise and go. What holds them back? What would hold you back from not going? Maybe they know their own lack of understanding. Maybe they're relying on human wisdom. Maybe it's their own logic or reason they can't get past. Maybe it's their own physical ability. I can't afford it. I can't speak like that. I can't do that. Maybe it's they're going to laugh at me. Maybe the, whatever the reason is, there's, there's, there's always an excuse. There's always one. And many times it's a valid one. If God says arise and go, and he provides confirmation through his word, the decision is in your lap. He'll work out all the details. It's for you. Arise and go. Philip obeys. And you know what he learns? He learns that God has it all planned out. Really, he learns that God is faithful. I can imagine Philip. I can kind of relate. As he says goodbye to the people in Samaria, as he's introduced them to the Lord, as he's on his way down to the desert, here he is walking along the desert road, probably by himself. Verse 27, so he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot. He was reading Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. This Ethiopian guy cruising down the road in a chariot. He's on a desert road. He's probably traveling with an entourage because he's so wealthy. He's probably the second in charge of the entire country. He's very extremely wealthy. He's driving a chariot. Most people didn't travel in chariots that day. How did most people get around? They walked. He's driving a chariot. It'd be like today, you know, driving a, a Bentley or a Mercedes or some sort of fancy car. Here's Philip walking. Here comes the fancy car by. He has his own scroll. You know, what's the big deal on that? No, back then scrolls were expensive. They would keep the scrolls locked up in the temple or in the synagogue. They would keep them locked up. Now, for us, we all have Bibles. It's easy. Most of us have many of them at home. But for that, that day, it was a picture of wealth. We also know that he was a spiritual man. He just made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And he's reading the scriptures off the scroll. Now, I wonder, and again, I'll put myself into the story. Here I am walking down the dusty road. Here comes this entourage. You can probably hear him coming. You see the dust being kicked up. And here's Philip watching this guy pass by in a chariot. If you're anything like me, you know what I would have thought? Must be nice. Here I am walking. I got the gospel. Here I am with the Lord. You know, Lord, I'm doing what you're supposed to be doing. How come he's got the chariot? How come I can't have a Mercedes to drive home in? How come I can't ride in style that way? But what's going on here? I don't think Philip said that. I'm saying that's what I think I would probably be saying. And as this is happening, the Holy Spirit says to Philip, go near and overtake the chariot. Go near and overtake him. Now, Philip must have thought, are you nuts? Are you crazy? I'm not going up there. I can't go run alongside that chair. He's going to kill me. 
He's going to think I'm trying to rob him. Why would someone like me? What am, what am I going to say to him, God? Come on, look, this doesn't make any sense. I, he probably thought I'm too tired. I've, I've been walking from Jerusalem. I don't want to run and catch up. I just want him to go by, throwing up the dust. Again, there's a time for a decision. Will you go? But I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know. What if they don't listen? What if they laugh at me? I don't know. Philip, will you go? There will always be an excuse not to follow the Lord. And many times it's a logical one on why you shouldn't obey the Lord. But can I encourage you, like Philip's going to do, obey what he tells you to do. You see, it was a big move, a big step to go from Samaria down to the desert. This is just a small step in everyday life. Hey, I want you to go talk to that person. Maybe you'll be walking through work tomorrow. And the Lord will say, hey, I want you to go talk to that person. I don't know what to say. I'll give you the words when you get there. I want you to go talk to him. I don't know what to say, Lord. I'm not going. Okay, don't go. But you're choosing not to follow what the Lord leads you to do. Let me just make one more point here. The direction of the Lord will never contradict the word of the Lord. I've met many people in my years as being a pastor who take the thing I've heard from God and it goes in conflict. It contradicts what the word of God says. God's direction will always line up with God's word. He will always confirm, especially big decisions. You'll see it in his word. If you want to be a follower of God, you can't do that unless you know the word of God. It's almost impossible. If you don't know what God's word says, then how do you know whether it contradicts what he's telling you to do? Look at verse 30 as Philip walks, or maybe I should say runs in obedience. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, and he said, now you can just imagine Philip here. He's running. Here he comes. I just picture he's running alongside the chariot. I wonder how long it took to catch up, you know. And he finally gets close enough and he hears him reading. He goes, oh, I know that. I, I, now, wait a minute, I know that. So he says to him there in verse 30, do you understand what you're reading? He's running in obedience. He gets Now God's plan's unfolding. I didn't know what I was going to say. However many minutes ago it took me to catch up. Now I've got it. Do you understand what you're reading? In verse 31, the man says, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. Now you can just picture Philip. He's running. I can tell you, but I can't run much longer. All right, come on up. Philip's probably like, whew. You got any water? So he asked him, come on up. The place in the scripture, verse 32, which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth? Verse 34, so the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Who's he talking about? Of himself or, from, or of some other man? Why is there a question here for us? We know he's talking about Christ. But the Jewish rabbis taught that he was talking about Isaiah. He was talking about himself. And some suggested it was even Jeremiah. But Philip knew he was talking about Christ. Verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, met him right where he was in scripture. Didn't take him somewhere else, met him right there. Preached Jesus to him. I wish... I could have heard this message. How cool it would be to have it on tape or DVDs or MP3 or whatever format so we could go back and listen. Verse 36, now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Now we're covering this rather quickly, but I just want you to notice something. He says, what hinders me? What hinders me? As a eunuch, 
He was always hindered in Judaism. He wasn't Jewish and he was also a eunuch. He was only able to go into the temple so far. He could go to the court of the Gentiles, but you couldn't go any further. You couldn't get any closer to God than the outside court. You could only go so far. He was limited. So naturally, as he's coming to Christ, he thinks that he's going to be limited by who he is and by his past. And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. Isn't it great to know that nothing in your past life, nothing about who you are, who you were, or who you even currently are hinders you from coming to Christ. There's no line. You can only go this way. You have all of Christ that you want. You have all of the Holy Spirit that you want in your life. You have all of them. Well, I want more. Then, go, then it's available to you. He's not holding himself back. It's us that hold back from receiving him because we can't get ourselves out of the way. Or perhaps we're disobedient and not doing what he calls us to do. And there's a great message on evangelism here, but we don't have time this morning. Look at verse 39. Now when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. So the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found in Azotus, or it's Ashdod, it's a Philistine city. And passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. So the eunuch here had come to Jerusalem seeking God. He left struggling with the scriptures. He's on his way back to Ethiopia grappling with the scriptures. Now he's returning because he's met Philip rejoicing in his salvation. All that he was seeking was found in the scriptures. Isn't that interesting? All that he wanted to know about God was found in the scriptures. He needed someone to help him understand it. That's all he needed. Philip was that guy. Church history tells us that Ethiopian took the gospel down to Ethiopia and many people were saved. So what happened to Philip? Philip was immediately transported to a Philistine city. From Samaria to an individual in the desert to a Philistine city where he did what? Same thing he always does. Preach the gospel. He taught the Bible. He taught the scriptures the same way he taught it to Ethiopians, whether he was teaching the villages in Samaria, whether he was teaching one-on-one, whether he was teaching in the Philistine cities. He just simply opened up the scriptures to them. And after traveling through the Philistine cities and preaching the gospel, the scripture tells us he went to Caesarea. Caesarea. And he found himself in Caesarea. He would simply raise a family. He's going to be, we're going to run across him again in Acts chapter 21. Turn there with me. As the Apostle Paul is headed back to Jerusalem for what would be his final trip to Jerusalem before he's arrested and sent to Rome, we run across Philip one more time in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 21, verse 8. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist who was one of the seven, remember the seven back in the beginning, and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied, and we stayed many days. Philip's life ended, or what we know of it, there in Caesarea. What was he doing in Caesarea? Raising a family, serving the Lord wherever he was. Four daughters that are now speaking forth the word of God. Wherever he was, Philip flourished in ministry. I'm sure he was just as thrilled serving tables as he was to preaching the multitudes, as he was to ministering to the eunuch, as he is serving his family in Caesarea, or whether he's in the Philistine cities. Wherever he is, wherever God's leading him, he's just teaching God's word. He's just sharing God's word. 
you know, it should be the same thing for you and for I. In our walk with the Lord, in your work for the Lord, you're going to go through different seasons in life. Sometimes you may have a private ministry behind the doors where no one sees what's going on. Maybe you're ministering to someone that no one else knows about. That's okay. It's one-on-one ministry. Maybe you'll have a public ministry where, where you'll be part of a worship team or maybe you'll get to share a Bible study somewhere. Maybe you'll have that for a season. Maybe there'll be a season just where it's you and your family because your family needs you and you're ministering to them. You see, don't, don't, don't throw out the word ministry and think it has to be some grandiose, huge step of faith. Ministry happens every day in every Christian's life. Wherever God has you, wherever you're at, will you follow him? Whether it's privately, whether it's publicly. Will you minister to your friend, your neighbor, your coworker? Will you just minister to the people that he brings across your path? And other times, ministry is just among your own family. It's just for you and your family. It's a season. So whatever season you're in, wherever you're at, be content and follow the Lord. It's not that difficult. As Christians, we make it harder than it really is. Wherever you're at, in your job, with your wife, with your kids, with your family, just follow him. So as I leave you with this message, my exhortation to you is follow God. If you follow him, if you learn his word, it's all going to work out in the end and I'll meet you in heaven. Because if I don't get back here, I'll meet you up there. So it's not really goodbye. It's just, I'll see you later. Let's pray. Father, following you seems so easy. Words that just roll off, the, roll off our lips. But yet we've come to know it can be so difficult. So we ask for your guidance and for your wisdom. For your confirmations and the things that you've called us to do. Lord, as this group of people that you've blessed me with, to be able to minister to, Lord, I just pray for them. I ask they would follow you. May they serve you. May they accomplish all that you've given them to do. May you just bless Pastor Luke and Alex as they serve this family faithfully. May you lead us in all of your ways. In Jesus' name, amen.